everybody. I'm Ashton Demery. And I'm Nicole Demery. And welcome to our Atheist Bible Study, where the hunt is on, David is on the run, and Saul is coming to get him. We're starting right where we left off, where David just left his uh, very romantic final moments with Jonathan. And this will be, I guess, not the last time that they see each other. No. But one of the last times. Like you said, we are just like leaving off where David is saying his goodbyes and he runs away to Nob and he meets with the priest Ahimelech who asks why David is alone and David makes up a lie and says that the king has charged him with a secret mission so he can't talk about why he's there. Then he asks for five loaves of bread or whatever that they have there. The priest says that they only have holy bread, quote, provided that the young men have kept themselves from women. So then David says that women are always kept away from them when they're on expeditions. Then I guess he gives him gives him the bread. And then David asks for a weapon and makes up some excuse about how he forgot his at home. And so then the priest says that the only sword that they have here is conveniently the sword that David used to cut off Goliath's head. So right. he takes that. Yeah, I think that's a... <laughs> So he's going to take this sword of Goliath now. I, I don't really know how big David is. I think we always assume he's like a little tiny boy. Because um, <laughs> like the, the David and Goliath contrast. Right. Probably a normal sized dude. But either way, right? If the spear tip of Goliath's spear is, we said, 15 pounds, how heavy is his sword? Right. This It's got to be a good 50 pound sword, which is just going to be crippling to David in battle. Wait, was it Goliath's sword that he used to chop off Goliath's own head? I think he did, yeah. I think he used oh, okay. Goliath's own sword. Um, but either way, like, chopping off Goliath's head with a sword is one thing. You know, if it's 50 pounds or whatever, you could lift that and swing it once. But it's probably not going to be very useful to you in battle if it's 50 pounds. And then, yeah, this, like, I mean, it's the first time I think I've heard of this rule that you're not holy if you've been with a woman in the last, like, seven days of your journey or whatever. Yeah. So the the quote goes, Indeed, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is a common journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So I don't really know what, what is a, the vessel that they're referring to. I almost want to say that they're talking about their penises. Oh, like as, are they keeping away from their penises? That they're keeping away from women with their penises, right? They're like, oh. penises are holy. Okay. I don't like what else could their vessels be other or maybe their Yeah, no, I guess their body their like, body it's they, their body yeah, overall. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing that I could find that talked about this was describing that the vessels were their bags. Yeah, like what they put the bread in. Yeah. It, it didn't really make much sense to me what they were trying to say about no, their bags it's, being it's empty. No, it's not it's not clear. Like I'm not so, sure if yeah, if the issue is like they can't have sex with women or they're just like not allowed to even be near women. Yeah. I mean, I think that seems clear to me that they, they can't have sex with women, but I think the vessels part is like, it could mean just like their body or their soul, or it could be a direct reference to their penises because it's, that is a, you know, it's a major part of this religion considering that they're like holiness is based on circumcising their penises to some yeah, extent. But- Okay, so then after he gets his holy bread and his sword, he flees to Gath. And she's while in he's Philistine. In, 
Yeah. And so while he's in Gath, they recognize him there, which freaks David out. So he pretends to be a madman. I don't know how he thinks that's going to make him safer. (laughs) That like, they still know who he is, but now they just think he's crazy. Well, I think that maybe the assumption is like, oh, wait, maybe that can't be David because David is a man who has killed thousands and and this guy is clearly insane, so he's harmless. (laughs) Yeah. So then he leaves there and he goes to the cave of Adullam. His brothers and people who are discontented follow him there. And it ends up being about 400 people with him. Um, And then this group of people, they all kind of bop around from Mizpah to Moab. He leaves his parents in Moab with the king until God tells him to go to Judah. Yeah. And it's another one of these parts where like the the Bible, it kind of conflicts on how the Israelites really feel about Moab. It seems like it ebbs and flows with the times or with the particular group and location of the the people who are writing about it. Because the last one of the last times we talked about Moab, we talked about it a little bit in Ruth, but then the last time we really actually engaged with Moab was in Judges, and that was when Ehud went and assassinated the king of Moab, King Eglon, by like stabbing him through the stomach. So it didn't seem like if that was true and that was however many years ago that Moab is going to be particularly interested in helping David out and yeah. watching his parents for him but it's one of those things that just it really depends on the time period and who's writing it yeah so then Saul hears about David's whereabouts and so he makes this big speech to his people um basically just kind of throws himself a little pity party he talks about how nobody really likes him and he like wonders aloud if, you know, if David is giving them fields and vineyards, like, why are you guys like David so much? And he's also like, why is, why did nobody tell me about David and Jonathan and um, how like nobody is sorry for him? <laughs> nobody feels sorry. For yeah. Me. Nobody feels bad for me. So then Doeg. I really want to call him Doge. Yeah, I've been wanting to call him Doge. Okay, so Doge the Edomite tells (laughs) Saul that the priest of Nob helped David. So Saul invites the priest of Nob over to his place and confronts them about this. And they're like, I don't understand what we did wrong here. I thought we all liked David. David is a cool guy. He's done a lot for us. Like, what's, what's the problem of us helping him? So then Saul is like, you know, very angered by this. And so he orders the guards to kill the priests. But the guards are like also looking around at each other like, no, like we're not going to kill priests because they helped David. Like these are priests, they're holy people. And again, like we all kind of like David. So not doing that. So then the king asks Doge to do it and Doge obliges. So he kills like, you know, what I'm assuming are unarmed men. and. One of them escapes, like the son, not one, not a priest, but a son of a priest escapes. And he goes and warns David and tells David what Saul did. And David tells, tells him just to stay with him, that he'll be safe with him. Yeah, which is a strange thing to guarantee considering how afraid David has been, right? He keeps running away mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah. And then he tells this guy, this guy comes, he's like, I can guarantee your safety. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's You'll like, be safe with me. <laughs> with the Philistine, like in enemy, <laughs> enemy territory, hiding out. Yeah. So 
Then the Philistines are attacking the city of Keilah. And David asks God if he should go and defend them. And God says, yes. The men that are with David are too afraid to go. So David asks God again. And God again says, yes, if you go to them, I will deliver them to you. So they go and they attack and they defeat them. And then Saul hears about how David is in Keilah. So then he takes an army over to Keilah with the intention to kill David and seize him. But then David and his men slip out of the city and are not found by Saul. Yeah, th- this part's really funny to me because Abiathar is the one who he tells David, hey, Saul's planning on coming to attack you here and you're going to be trapped. Mm-hmm. And David's like, hmm, that's interesting. And then he goes and he, he calls God up, calls Yahweh, and he's like, hey, is this, this stuff true that Saul's trying to trap me in this city that you told me to come attack? And he's going to kill me and I'm going to be stuck here. And he always just like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally he is. Sorry, he totally (laughs) slipped my mind, bro. (laughs) Forgot to tell you. It'll be fine, though. And then David's like, well, like, are the people of this city going to, like, defend me? Nah, definitely not, dog. (laughs) (laughs) So then David finally leaves. Like, but I this, uh all-knowing God just doesn't decide to give him the information until he specifically asks for it. Yeah. All right, so now David is hiding out in the wilderness from Saul, and Jonathan, Saul's son, finds David in the woods and tells him that, you know, he is going to be king. Sorry, David is going to be king, and that he is going to be his second-in-command, and that everybody knows this, even Saul knows this. It's a for-sure thing. And then they make a covenant to the Lord again. I think this is like their third time getting married or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jonathan returns home. And I believe this is the last time that they see each other. This is the last time they see each other. Yeah. And there's this phrase in there about he comes down to strengthen his hand in the Lord, which I wasn't sure what that meant. But when I searched it, I found that while this section of the Bible seems to be just like not that interesting to people in mm-hmm. general. Yeah. Um, that one line does get like brought up a lot by Christians because it's like a basis for like Bible study and camaraderie and like oh. the men getting together and really worshiping. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of reminds me of like a very like Protestant interpretation of Christianity that I feel like we experience sometimes in college with I, don't know, I definitely like had times when I'd hang out with like you know, Christian people, and then all of a sudden it was like, "Yo, like, like let's just pray together." Bro. Yeah, and I'd be like in the middle of the college campus in a public square, and I'd be like, "Right here, man," and then it'd be like, <laughs> "Yeah, like right here," and then like aloud. I don't know. That, that's just what this reminded me of. Yeah, like, it is a very specific kind of. Uh, I don't know. It's something you like. I don't think of. Bible studies when I think Catholic, but like Protestants are like all about this idea of like a brotherly fellowship in worship. Yeah, that was that wasn't something that I really experienced until we went to college together and started hanging out with more of those kind of like Bible study type groups. Because yeah, even like as a Catholic, that like when I was a strong Catholic, that kind of stuff made me super uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, even growing up with it, I you know, I would I felt uncomfortable. Yeah, 
I think it's something that <sighs> is uncomfortable to everybody at first until you are just like really, really sold on it. Yeah. And that's like just like a regular thing that people do to you and you start doing to other people. Yeah. I mean, I think to some extent it's almost like you're like, you're scoring points every time you do it is how I think you feel about it. If you're yeah. like, like the more on fire I am for Jesus, like publicly yeah. in front of people and the more embarrassed I feel. Right. But like, am pushing through it. You know, it's almost like the more the better I am. Yeah. It's like definitely more for them than it is for people they're trying to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then more snitches tell Saul where David is. So Saul again starts to pursue David, but David gets away when, um, because the Philistines start to attack Israel. So then Saul has to stop pursuing David to go deal with that. After Saul finishes dealing with the Philistines, he can go back to his true passion in life, which is trying to kill David. (laughs) (laughs) So he takes another army out to pursue David where they like last kind of had their, where their last lead for where David was. And during this pursuit, Saul takes a moment to himself in a cave to relieve himself. And it just so happens that David and some men are hiding in that cave and the men are trying to like hype up David to go kill Saul. And they're telling him like, you know, like this is your chance kind of thing. Like God has delivered him to you. Like let's do this now and end this. So like David creeps up to Saul and instead of killing him, he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe and then kind of given this impression that he's like, has like extreme guilt over the idea that he was just about to kill Saul. Yeah. He's like, well, and even guilt that he cut his robe, like, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. I, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I want to circle back to like how he stealthily cuts Saul, Saul's robe. But anyways, <laughs> moving on. Um, <laughs> So he, he lets Saul go. Saul leaves the cave. And then after that, David follows him out of the cave and is like, hey, Saul, like, I was here the whole time. And um, he bows to him and he's like really reverent and says, you know, you're pursuing me because you want to kill me because you think I'm going to cause you some kind of harm. Well, like I now have proof that I wish you no harm. Like, see, I have this cloth from your robe and I could have killed you. Like I had every opportunity to kill you and I didn't harm you. So can we please just end this thing? Like, please stop pursuing me and trying to kill me. And then Saul starts to cry and he realizes that David is the better man and that he's going to be king someday because of this. And he, he acquiesces. Is that the right word? Yeah. But he acquiesces. No. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So he concedes. Yeah, that works. Okay. So Saul concedes to David and like agrees to kind of end this whole thing and just asks David not to wipe his name from the kingdom, which David agrees to. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting that he has all of a sudden, it's like he's having this moment of clarity where like all of a sudden it's like, you know what? Yeah, that makes perfect sense, David. And he does this like a few times. He does it yeah. with Jonathan. Then the rest of the time he's just like stark raving mad. Like mm-hmm. he's just like murdered a bunch of priests. And then David's like, hey, man, I could have killed you and I didn't. And he's like, wow, what a sweet guy. Yeah, I've been doing all this. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've been a real asshole, haven't I? <laughs> okay. So anyway, so back to the beginning of this story where Saul goes to a cave to relieve himself. Yeah, why does he need to go to a cave? Right, because I'm assuming we're talking about peeing. And from my knowledge of men is that they can just pee anywhere. They don't need to go to a cave to do that. Yeah, especially like he's he's rolling with his armies. Yeah. So like he's just like 
you know, I would think he'd just go wherever because it's just like him and it's an army. Like, yeah. They're not even going to pick a tree. They're just going to stand right where they're at and piss. Yeah. And I don't really know how shitting works when you're pursuing a guy on the run. Like if that requires privacy of a cave or more ca- like privacy. Yeah. I, I, I still kind of doubt that he would feel the need to go all the way deep into a dark cave. If that was like, I just think that he would maybe find a private spot, but even then I think he would probably have guards nearby. I just don't think these Kings just feel the need to hide themselves off in a cave while they poop. So no one can see. So should, should we just say it? Oh, that he was, that we think he was masturbating. He's probably got a tent of his own. Yeah, okay, I don't know. Need, <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he they're, they're not traveling and no, like because in another story, he's sleeping with his commander. He can tell his commander. I know. To leave. I don't know. He's the king. Anyways, yeah, that makes no sense. But well, it works what for the do story. you think? Activ like which activity do you think he would be like most distracted by, so that David could sneak up and cut a piece of his clothing off without him noticing? You know, I think that the thing that makes the most sense is that he was peeing and he's drunk, right? Mm. You know, he just like stumbles into this cave to pee while he's drunk. Again, I don't think he would bother going into the cave. I think he'd he'd go right where he was standing. Yeah. But it works for the narrative. So I think the people writing this, what they're picturing is Saul going into the cave to pee. Yeah. And he's probably drunk like 24-7 because he's a king. Yeah. And they're out like on the hunt for David. He's probably drunk. Okay. I love the lengths we go to to make this story interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do anything. Um, okay. So, oh, do you, sorry, did you have more to say about that story? I thought I did. Well, yeah, if he was pooping, I think it's very funny to imagine David crawling up to, <laughs> to cut off his robe while he's pooping. But also, like, the way David's, like, kicking himself afterwards and the way he acts about this whole thing. We're going to see later this is just a very strange moral line to draw who David actually is. Yeah. Okay. The next thing that happens in the story is Samuel dies and everybody mourns for him. And I just want to remind Finally. all of you and myself that Samuel is the like holy man of, of the time, right? So Saul is the king. Samuel is a holy man. I went through about three more chapters thinking that Saul had died and that someone (laughs) really did a poor job of editing the Bible. (laughs) Well, I also kind of felt like Samuel had died like several chapters ago because they set up his death pretty early on in the book of Samuel. Well, he just kind of wanders off, right? Of like the, oh, here's your king. He just wanders off the face of the earth. I'm obsolete now. Yeah, but then kind of shows back up. Yeah. And then, and he has that whole speech where he's like, I'm gone, Mm -hmm. but. He's not gone. But then we haven't seen him here. He hasn't been helping David like you'd expect. Yeah. Then we have this sort of uh, side story that's like separate from this whole David and Saul pursuit thing we have going on. So there's this man named Nabal and he has a bunch. He's a very wealthy man and he has a lot of sheep and he is currently shearing his sheep. And so David sends a group of men to him. To, to get some wool from this man. So they go yeah. and ask this man, like, hey, um, can we have some of this wool for David? Yeah, and he's and a real Nab- scroogey kind of character. Yeah, he's, yes. And Nabal has no idea who David is. Um, he doesn't know who Jesse is. So he's just kind of like, fuck you guys. No, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm not just, 
Like I'm not a rich man because I just give my wool away right. for free. So well, he, wants, he wants to give away, he want, they want like actual meat. So they, they say that they're, it's a feast day. Right? Okay. It's a holiday. So shouldn't we have a feast? Okay. Oh yeah. So, so that's like us, an even bigger ask. Yeah. It's that's a bigger like his ask. money making. Like, yeah. you know, he shears these. Anyways. Uh, so this guy refuses, which honestly, I know like they describe, like they describe him as a shrewd guy, but it seems pretty reasonable to me. Um, well, he's obviously not very dialed into like what's going on in the world because like he should know who David is. Like there are songs about the man and you know, their king is doing a lot to go maybe. kill him. I mean, him. he's out, he's off out in the, in the countryside, in the countryside. I, I don't, I doubt like many of these random shepherds cared about the goings yeah. on well, of the kingdom. Regardless, his wife, however, Abigail is keyed on to the latest gossip and like what's going on in the world. So she knows who David is. So when she finds out that her husband told David's men no, she's like, oh, God damn it. Okay, so she chases after them and is like, I am so sorry. My husband is like an idiot. Um, here's all these gifts. Please take them to David and I'll follow after you guys and like give my apologies. Right. So the men go back to David. They tell him about Nabal, but then they have like these gifts from Abigail. And then Abigail rides up. Um, She's described as, like, very beautiful. She's also very clever. So, um, an interesting, you know, interesting young woman comes rolling up on this donkey. And then she, like, bows to David. She puts her head to the floor. She uses, like, very lengthy, eloquent apology. Um, and, you know, asks for his forgiveness, which David gives. And then she goes back home. Yeah. And, and just to be clear... Right by the time that Abigail actually meets the men and meets David riding on her donkey, they've already gotten back to the camp, told David, and they have all geared up to go slaughter this house. Mm-hmm. Like they all have their swords, they're on their way to Nabal, and they're going to kill every one of his sheep, all of his shepherds. They're going to take his whole house. Yeah, is right. what they have decided. Yeah. Yes, thank before you for she comes that. along and says, "I'm sorry. Yeah, I love you, David. And take here, have a feast. Yeah. Oh, and David also says, like, okay, like we'll just let the Lord deal with your husband. So, right. so Abigail goes back home and she finds that her husband is having this huge feast. Um, there's like this is like a feast fit for a king, uh, and he's super super drunk. So she like doesn't tell him anything because he's like way too drunk. And then I guess once he sobers up a little bit, then she relays to him, you know, how they almost just died. And this, it's not really fair. I guess like startles him so bad. It like freaks the guy out. Really, The way I read it was that, that the knowledge that she had taken stuff to him, right? She yeah. takes him like livestock and mm-hmm. stuff. She gives him gifts. Yeah. That she had gone behind his back. And giving away his stuff to David. <laughs> just the betrayal. That him. and well, I think more than the betrayal, just like I think he the way that they're selling this Nabal character is that he really like is that greedy and like the knowledge that that he had all that stuff had been given to David after he told David no. Yeah. Just eats him up. Yeah. And so he dies. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to go back to the the beginning of this because this is basically like a mob situation. Nabal's here. He's got his, his shepherds and stuff like that taking care of his livestock. And then David sends his men in and they basically demand 
that he give them tribute. Right. And he tells them, well, we, we haven't hurt your men. We've kept them safe, right? You know, it's, it's the business down the street. It's like, hey, we'll, we'll protect your business, make sure nothing bad happens to your mm-hmm. business as long as you pay the mob. Yeah. Right. And I mean, when they, when you, when they don't, they go and destroy it. Yeah. They destroy the business. Right. Yeah. It's protection from them that he really needs. Yeah. And they're shaking him down. Because they live, they live, you know, it's a monarchy. Like David is the future king. He's the baddest warrior that's protecting everybody from the Philistines. So like, it is that situation. <laughs> but not yet, though. Yeah, I, mean, I know, just, but like if you're smart, then you're already back. Like if you're yeah, smart yeah. like Abigail, then I you're you, already yeah. backing the winner. Like, yeah, it just uh, it just feels like to me, you know, they're selling this as like Nabal is like this shrewd, you know, mm-hmm. character that how dare he. But he's being blackmailed. Yeah. And then David, you know, once he finds out that he refused, he says, well, you know. We'll make him an offer he can't refuse. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he comes down and he's going to kill him. Yeah. And then also, like, I like to imagine that what really happened is that Abigail went and, and poisoned Nabal because she really likes David. Mm. You know? Yeah. It seems kind of suspicious. She Just dies smart. a week later. <laughs> I, I think she's, like you said, back in the right horse. Yeah. So after David finds out that Ab- Nabal dies, he woos Abigail and marries her. And then there's this little... Thing about how he has also married another woman that we get no story about. And he's also married to Michael, who is Saul's daughter. But Michael has now been given to another of Saul's, an, another acquaintance of Saul or something like that. So Michael is, is no longer really married to David. Okay, yeah, you're right. So, so David currently has two wives. Right. Yeah, and also, so as far as like the... Uh, the kind of moral issues of what David has kind of done here with Nabal. I looked at like what Christians sort of say about this mm-hmm. and they, you know, they basically defended on the grounds that you no know, Nabal really did need protection. Right. And in these times, even if he hadn't agreed to protection, they really are helping him. Right. And I kind of find that like BS, like the idea that, that Nabal needs a whole ass army to protect his shepherds. Like nobody would, or like nobody would would be in this business if they no one can afford to do that yeah. and also like run a successful business of being a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And so like that that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, there's like animals out there, but the shepherds have ways of dealing with that, right? They've been doing this for thousands of years. They've figured out how to deal with animals and thieves and stuff. Yeah. Next, we have what is clearly a retelling of David sparing Saul's life. Because it's basically the same events, but there's just slightly different things about it. And one very obvious inconsistency in it, which is that the priests that Saul kills earlier are alive in this version to give David advice. So Ahimelech is around to tell David that God has delivered Saul to him. And so like this is his opportunity to kill him. Um, And then again, in this scenario, David chooses not to kill him and there's but this version there's a like a water jug and a, and a spear involved right yeah so there's there's zero acknowledgement in any of this that that anything had happened before and it's where i think the like the titles of these are all pretty misleading and it's important to remember that the titles of these stories were added after they never existed in the original telling so it says david spares saul's life a second time well that's somebody writing in there that they are interpreting this as being the second time because 
the story already exists when in fact it's just a different telling of the same story. And so, yeah, this time, this time they want him to stab Saul with, with Saul's own spear that's laying next to him. But instead he takes the spear and he takes a jar of water that's next to him. And then he's out in front of the gate and he tells him again, you know, I could have, I could have killed you, but I didn't kill you. And then Saul is appeased by this and decides that he's going to stop pursuing him. And he actually invites him over. He says, hey, come back with me and be my armor bearer again. He doesn't say that specifically, but basically, you know, invites him back into his house, mm-hmm. which David agrees to. And then we just move on like none of that happened because he doesn't go back yeah. to his house with him. Because the next thing that happens is he goes to serve King Akish, who is a Philistine. So David is completely flip sides, basically. Like now he's serving this other king, but he's kind of a double, well, not kind of, he is a double agent because while he's serving King Akish, he's raiding the Gezerites, the Gerzites, and Amalekites. And he's killing everybody, including women and children, because he doesn't want anybody to go back to the king and tell the king what's actually happening, which is that David is not raiding the Israelites. He's raiding the people that he's serving. Yeah, he's raiding Canaanites. Right. um, Instead of raiding the Israelites, which is what King Akish thinks that he is doing. Yeah, it says that every time like they ask him what he's doing, he's telling them that he's like raiding Judah and all these other Israelite places. Right. And it's like we were talking about, you know, he draws this really, really definite line at killing Saul or even, you know, so much as touching Saul's robe, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's very ashamed of having done that. But killing women and children to cover up his own lie is kind of effortless totally fine for david yeah and it's, and it's not something he seems to feel guilty about at all and it's just a reminder that there aren't universal morals really in the old testament they're really just these rules are all centered around the israelite people and killing israelites is bad but killing canaanites is not bad killing canaanite women and children doing whatever you want with canaanite women and children mm-hmm. there's no real sense that that's uh that's wrong or sinful for the bible that's not a problem yeah definitely not in the old testament like it's it's very clearly not like a universal religion people don't have universal value yeah in this philosophy of morals yeah and especially you know saul has value above even all the israelites right he's chosen Mm -hmm. so is david yeah and then yeah in We'll see later on. Yeah, being chosen comes with even more like exceptions to how you right. get to act. Um, okay, so speaking of chosen people, so now the story switches back to Saul. And Saul is really worried because the Philistines are again at his doorstep and he doesn't know what to do. Um, and he's afraid that he's going to die this time. And he doesn't have Samuel around who was previously advising him on, on God's behalf. And so... He doesn't know what to do, so he decides to seek out a medium so that they can ask Samuel for him. This, of course, is a problem, though, because previously Saul had banished all of the mediums, calling them, like, wicked and evil. Right. So they are— And all the—I mean, he killed all the priests as well, and he also banished all of the prophets. Yes. So he definitely screwed himself over with this one. (laughs) So—but they do end up finding one for him— 
he has to disguise himself when he goes because, you know, he's the guy who got rid of all of them. So he goes to see this woman and she is immediately suspect of the situation because, you know, she knows that it's the law of the land that like what she does is illegal. So she's, um, so he has to, you know, come for her and like, let her know that it's not a trap and that, you know, everything's going to be fine. So she, you know, does her magic and she summons somebody and she starts like screaming when she sees them. And then Saul is like, Oh, like what, what are you seeing? And she's like, I see a man in a robe with a white beard crawling out of his grave. And then Saul's like, okay, cool. Like that's Samuel. <laughs> yeah. I like that. This is one of the most, I feel like on descriptive stories I've seen in the Bible, like some of the better storytelling the Bible has where it like describes Samuel climbing out of the grave. That's, yeah, that's pretty sick. It's not saying a lot for the Bible, but it is, you know, my interest was peaked a little bit. Yeah, same. <laughs> so, and I think it's pretty funny too, because like when, so we hit this like really spooky description of Samuel, you know, pulling himself out of the earth. And then when he gets there, he just sounds so annoyed and like bitchy with Saul. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, yeah. why am I being disturbed? Like, why did you call me here? And Saul, you know, explains the whole Philistine situation. And Samuel's like, I told you a million times when I was alive that God is no longer with you. You are going to die. And this is how it's going to happen. So, like, I don't know what else you want me to say. Right. <laughs> like, let yeah. me go back to my dirt nap. <laughs> it's, it's just funny that he thought he was going to get good news from Samuel, who hasn't almost ever given him good news. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Samuel's never been telling him, oh, everything's going to be fine. And also, like, he got here because he's also getting the silent treatment from God. Yeah. And do you think it was going to be good news? <laughs> yeah. So after re- receiving this news, Saul immediately starts to cry. And the medium is comforts him by asking him if he's eaten that day. And she ends up feeding him and his men. Kind of a useless detail, but yeah. yeah. That's, the <laughs> <laughs> but that's the end of that story. Um But yeah, this story was interesting for many reasons. One of them being, growing up in the Catholic Church, I was given the sense that uh, mediums and psychics were a bad thing, not because that they worked, but because that they were like imposters claiming to have like powers that only God can possess kind of thing. And so, um, and that's why they were wicked and evil. Not because they literally could summon people from the dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. This this story can both confirms like the, you know, abilities of these mediums and also like condones, you know, mm-hmm. what is essentially necromancy here. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like for me, I got one of two explanations and sometimes almost at the same time, which is one, like you're saying that hey, it's just not real, so you shouldn't put any stock in it because it's not, only the only real magic comes from God, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it would be, well, yeah, that's that's the that stuff is actually demonic, right? That stuff mm-hmm. is like, is actually coming from like a different source of power, but it's evil power, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the work of Satan or something like that. And it's like, okay, well then, so is it real? And I was like, well, well no, it's not real. It's like, well, if it's not real, then it shouldn't matter. But right. <laughs> You know, it, it would be one of those two explanations, and I feel like there was some like there was some cognitive dissonance about the fact that those explanations were in contradiction to one another. Yeah, and I would say the other thing too is like I don't really feel like I got 
clear messaging on whether or not Catholics believe in ghosts because it's, I mean, we all believe in the Holy Spirit of God, which is like in my mind kind of a ghost, but then I would get some different language about that too sometimes because, you know, they like to talk about how like there are the three in one. So it's, it's not really a, a ghost thing. And yeah, it, the Holy ghost is the biggest, I believe button in the entirety <laughs> of the Christian religion. And I'd love to talk in, in detail <laughs> about it at some point, but like, it's just like, nobody can explain what they are actually talking about when they say the Holy ghost. Yeah. And then the other thing about this story that I find really interesting is the fact that he is crawling out of the ground and not, you know, descending from heaven. Right. So I, I feel like we're like not acknowledging the existence of heaven yet in, in this lore. Yeah. And I think that's, that's absolutely correct because I have not thoroughly studied the specific beliefs uh, that the Jews hold in terms of the afterlife. But I know for a fact that it's not heaven in the way that Christians think of heaven. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to ask you is, um, do you believe in ghosts? I do not believe in ghosts. I am, I guess, yeah, I guess I would say I currently don't believe in ghosts. I'm open to the idea of believing in ghosts. <laughs> I would say that I, and I think I've talked about this before, I really love hearing people's ghost stories. And I feel like I believe them when they tell me them. I mean, I do believe it when people are telling me like that, that they experience this like weird face. Um, I'm sure they really experience that, yeah. that, whatever that is, uh, came out of their mind. I'm a complete materialist, right? I believe yeah. there is only, you know, there's nothing separable from the body. And if there was, if, if any of these things are real, they would cease to be supernatural and simply become part of our scientific understanding of the world. Yeah. I'm all, but, um, yeah, I'm in it if it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, certainly when Halloween comes around, I'm going to be telling the ghost stories and playing along. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. So. Now the story shifts back to David, who is still currently serving the Philistines. And he is actually about to march on the Israelites with the Philistines. So we talked before about how, uh, you know, Saul is worried because the Philistines are at his doorstep. David is a part of that whole group. And yeah, he's going to march on them. But I was then- getting excited for this part because I was like, whoa, like, how is this all going to go down? Right. How is he going to get out of this one? Yeah. So he's, it <laughs> seems he does- like... What's that going to mean for, you know, him obviously eventually becoming king? He has every intention of going through with it until he is recognized by some of the commanders in the Philistine army. And they recognize him from the songs that we talked about, I think, in the previous episode where Saul has killed thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, yeah, we don't feel comfortable marching with you because you're kind of known for killing us. and so. Um, King Akish kind of takes him aside and is like, hey, I trust you, man. Um, you've been working with me for a while. You've given me no reason not to trust you. But my commanders, they don't really feel comfortable with this. So why don't we just like pull you out and you go back home? And so David is like, okay, sounds good. So he leaves with his people. And when he gets back home, his home is completely destroyed. And all of the women and children have been kidnapped. Yeah. So, I mean, with the whole, like, you know, the, the commanders not liking or whatever, like to me, it's just like a really clear, like deus ex machina, where it's like, he needs an out to not being in the, Phil- among the Philistines anymore. Um, 
yeah, so like but they just give him like a they just do it. <laughs> to me, it doesn't matter because it's like he. It seems like he was gonna do it. So like, yeah. <laughs> if his intention was to do it, regardless of whether he got pulled away or not, like he was still gonna go kill some of his own. Yeah. Okay, so back in his destroyed village, he takes an ephod and asks God if he should avenge the city. Of course, God loves a good avenging, so he says, yes, go do that. And so a reminder, too, of what this ephod is doing. So basically, David came back and he flipped the coin. Yeah. And decided whether or not he should <laughs> should save his family or not. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> his family and everybody else's family. And it, yeah. <laughs> and the coin decided. <laughs> so they're traveling to to the group that, you know, did the kidnapping and, and the pillaging. And along the way, they take a hostage who, after eating and drinking, tells them where they need to go to take their revenge. They also leave a few thousand of their uh, wimpiest soldiers along the way. Yes. They get, they get tired of walking. Right. So they get left behind. <laughs> so the people who are strong enough to make it catch up with the people, they, you know, Kill all of them except for like 400 of them end up escaping. Turns out all of their women and children are fine. So the people who are there to fight take their wives and children back home. But the people who got too tired to walk, they're basically just like, fuck them. Yeah. So, I mean, very convenient that after all the pillaging David did in which he murdered all the women and children, that like the communities uh, that that they were a part of, right? Because these are like, these are villages within a larger like Canaanite population that now <laughs> in retaliation, they decide that they're not going to return the favor. You know, it's just, it's highly convenient. Yes. <laughs> and so it says that he, he did recover absolutely everything. Not a single you know woman or child was missing and not a single item that was taken was missing. Yeah. So they get back and, you know, these men that, had had stopped because they were too tired to even finish the journey, let alone like fight for their their stuff back. You know, everyone's like, "Well, like they didn't save anyone, so let's let's give them their like wives and children back. We're not monsters, but like, why do they get all the gold that we picked up?" And you know, David's like, "No, like we're uh, let's we're gonna everybody gets an equal share, right?" So socialism is what the <laughs> is is what the uh, bible what has condoned here for. it's a reminder for everyone uh, <laughs> that there is socialism uh bible is pro-socialism yeah so while david is you know out doing this thing meanwhile the philistines are attacking the israelites and it is not looking good a lot of them are dying including my favorite boy jonathan uh, jonathan dies fighting yeah i'm devastated I'm sure David is too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Saul, however, it would have been way better though if David had fought and and David had to kill Jonathan. Oh, that would have been so dramatic. That, yeah, that would have been epic. That would have been cool. That would have really been something. Saul, however, is not as brave as his son. He is too afraid to die in battle, so he instead asks his um, his armor bearer his armor bearer to kill him. So he, his armor bearer refuses because he's also terrified. Yeah. And then, so Saul says, okay, well, I'll just fall on my sword. So he does, and he, and he dies. And that's the end of Saul. Um, so don't really know why the next part is called to Saul. Second part of Saul. Because now Saul is dead. No? Are we <laughs> Second done with Saul? Samuel. <laughs> oh. 
Sorry. <laughs> Wait, is it really called Second Samuel? We we just read First Samuel and then the second one. Second okay. Samuel. Anyways, <laughs> the next part is called Second Samuel, who is dead already. Correct. He died in this chapter. So yeah, I don't really know why they named the next one. Are we? I don't know. For all we know, we're going to start Second Samuel, and Samuel's going to be alive and well with yeah. no explanation That's for so why. Sh- I can see that happening. <laughs> so thanks for listening. And we'll see you all in 2 Samuel. Yeah. Bye. Bye.